The Clarinet Podcast is independently produced in Calgary, Alberta, Canada by me, Sean Perrin. Also with the assistance of Megan Taylor, our copywriter, and Brian Shaples, our audio editor. If you'd like to support the ongoing production of these podcasts for the clarinet community all around the world and get access to an ad-free version of the show at the same time, head to www.clarinet.com support. It's listeners like you who make the show possible. You're listening to episode 91 of the Clarinet Podcast with today's guest, Katina Franklin-Sweetie. Go be yourself. Do it. You Be brave and go try new things and just be a genuine person and you, it's going to be okay. Katina Franklin Sweetie is an in-demand educator, lecturer, and adjudicator in the Washington, D.C. area. She maintains a vibrant studio of 25 students and is the founder of the George Mason University Summer Clarinet Academy and the Clarinet Project on YouTube, which is something you might be familiar with. We delve deep into a bunch of different conversations uh, about teaching music, educating very young students, and also, of course, her, her clarinet project uh, on YouTube and how that's sort of affecting students all around the world. I think a lot of the conversation we had is really valuable because so much of the literature out there um, for clarinet education seems to be marketed towards those who are teaching college-age students. And we sort of discuss this uh, education gap and some of the things that more pertain to very young students who are starting lesson and the very important role that teachers who teach those young students in a pre-college age play in the clarinet community. Today's episode of the show, of course, is brought to you in part by Diderio Woodwinds and their new weekly trivia show called Don't Blow It. You can check it out every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Diderio's Instagram channel. And if you know the right answers to the questions, you might even have the chance to win some amazing new gear. By the way, if you haven't checked out Diderio's new reads, I highly recommend you do so and you're in for a real treat. They're using some amazing new technology and manufacturing techniques that's helping achieve super consistent results. These reads are now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet, and you can pick up a box at your local music store, or if you want, you can order online by heading to clarinet.com reads to buy a box right now. Welcome to the show, Katina. Hi, Sean. Thank you so much for having me. So tell me a bit first about your background as a clarinetist, for those who may have missed your lightning round episode, and then we'll dive right into what you do. Okay, I started clarinet a little bit late. I was 16 years old and I wanted to beat the first chair in band because she got the lead in the school play. So it's not the not the best reason to start taking clarinet lessons, but once I did, I went to a music camp over the summer and I heard it, the Philadelphia Orchestra and I played chamber music and then I was hooked from then on out. So I really, really started practicing and working really hard. And I went to Herod Conservatory of Music, which is now Lynn Conservatory of Music. And then I went on to Manhattan School of Music. In undergrad, I studied with Paul Green, and then I studied with David Krakauer, and I studied with Yehuda Galad over the summers, which they were all really important teachers to me and a big influence in my life in many different ways. And then when I graduated, I went on to play with the Florida Grand Opera, a couple of years, Miami City Ballet, Florida Sunshine Pops. And then uh, continued to do chamber music and solo performances. And my husband, when he joined the Air Force Band, we left Miami and I came to Virginia. And that was when I started really getting into teaching. And I decided to put a lot more of my effort and further my training to be a teacher and a mentor to young people. So let's get into that a bit, because for those who don't know, um, Katina and I were chatting at the Clarinet Fest this past summer down in Florida we had a really, really great conversation about sort of educational philosophies and the importance of working with um, younger children and, and kind of the differences between working with younger children and college age students, which is, it seems like most um, teaching philosophy that I hear about anyways, is, is kind of aimed at students that I unfortunately don't get the chance to work with. Um, they're just different. So anyways, could we walk into that conversation a little bit and discuss some of your philosophies and, uh, and, and what you do as far as a teacher? Absolutely. So I agree completely. Like what we talked about, most of the advice that I get and still see is for older students. And many of my students start when they're 10 and 11 years old. This year, I have two eight-year-olds. So I even have to adapt to them even more, teaching them how to read music. And they play more songs than scales because physically they're also smaller. So it's harder to all the keys. So I'm constantly having to adapt, not just pedagogy, but also psychologically for a younger person in a lesson. And Suzuki's training for 
violin and piano. Now he, now they have guitar and flute was very influential with my early students because his philosophy is nurtured with love and every child can. So I get students in there that not, they don't seem like they'd be the greatest clarinet students, but my job as a teacher is to help them reach their potential, whatever that may be. So sometimes it really is learning a G major scale with an F sharp in it. And that can be, and it can be such an enormous accomplishment. And then of course I have older students and they're working on the last move in the Sanson Sonata. And it's such a different shift to go from that eight year old that's learning how to play twinkle, twinkle, little star to the older student. So I was trying to find a way to be better at that. I hadn't really ever had any training to be a teacher. It was always to be a clarinetist. And then I would just pass down what I had learned from my own teachers. So I went to three workshops that were nature education based, but they really crossed over well into music because they used a lot of music also. I did Awakening Our Inner Design, Art of Mentoring, and Coyote Guiding workshops. And they're based on indigenous teaching methods for the North American continent. And it really is so simple to just boil it down to Every person as an individual needs to be treated with respect and they want to be treated with respect and they want to share their stories with you and they want to learn. It just is how you go about doing it. So I had to really start shifting my teaching from, all right, this is how this scale has always been done to oh, okay, so you're having trouble learning this? Let's put colored pencils on the floor. And each time you move forward with one note, you step forward too. So that would be for your kinesthetic learners. And then for the uh, audio learners, I would play it for them instead of having them read it and then copy it back just by listening. So for those kids, I do a lot of recording for them, which is why I started my YouTube channel originally for the people that need to listen because there aren't that many recordings of elementary level clarinet pieces. We have a thousand recordings of the Mozart concerto, but none of any of the Hovi Lender songs, which are grade one for elementary school kids. So that's one of my projects that I'm coming up on working on recording a CD of, of those for kids. But so I started learning about different learning styles so there's the Howard Gardner theory of multiple intelligences, which says it doesn't, you don't have to learn just logically and mathematically. You can learn nature-based or uh, extroverted-based or, I said the kinesthetic. Uh, the- kinesthetic. Thank you. But the kinesthetic base. So all of those things I incorporate into lessons so that when they leave, they feel uplifted and excited to come back. And I feel excited when I finish a lesson that way, too. It, it's, it was hard to have lessons where kids weren't getting it and I wasn't getting it, how to teach them. So changing for each person individually has really been inspiring also for me as a teacher because it's exciting to learn about different ways of teaching and it's exciting to meet new people and try and figure out how they click and how they work. Let's unpack a few of those things then, because I mean, for me, the interesting thing too, is that all students start as very young students, but um, I don't know if it's just a failing of, of wind music or just an area that I have personally not studied, but, but it seems like there's such a, a prominently established piano and string pedagogy for very young students and almost, you know, almost nothing for, for other instruments. And I, I, why do you think that is? I, it's crazy. I've thought about this a lot. I think so much is a band emphasis, maybe. This is that when you run a piano studio, you don't have bands. So you really have to make that studio work to keep students coming in there. And so that's my theory with the pianist, because man, they know how to do it. (laughs) My daughter took piano lessons and it was one of the best run studios that I've ever worked with. And I took a lot of my daughter's piano teacher's ideas into my own studio. Um, And then with violinists, maybe the culture with violinists is so many years. And maybe it's the culture with piano that they've been doing it for hundreds of years. But you are absolutely right. 
there's nothing like that for clarinet. We have some books, but not like the piano and violinists, violin studios do. You think part of it has to do simply with the fact that the instruments require a little more technical facility and, and physical size? Um, yeah. With piano, you can stay with just playing in certain areas and then you can move more of your body to play the keys. I can see how it would be a problem with chords, but beginning pianists, the little ones, you think those three or four-year-olds, they, they don't have those big chords yet, but then when they play those pieces, they roll them. Violins, obviously, they have the tiny little violins that I love. I mean, <laughs> I've been debating whether or not having some of my younger ones play E-flat clarinet just because it's smaller and it's easier to hold. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say size and the actual ergonomics behind an instrument would be part of it. You know, I've done that before with a kid who was very much too small to play normal clarinet, but he really, really wanted to do it. I think he was six or seven. And, uh, his parents were just like, look, we don't know what's with him. He really wants to play. Um, and no is not an option. So let's, <laughs> so I, I got him an E flat clarinet and he had some lessons and, uh, you know, about a year later he switched to a full size one and it didn't seem to have deterred him at all. Um, so that, that is one thing I've never understood is the opposition to starting on E flat. Um, well, it's, it's, a, I think it is about what you say, the resistance and stuff, but to a young kid, I mean, they just got to blow and get Mary had a little lamb out. We're not talking about orchestral excerpts here. Yeah, absolutely. I've judged with different um, competitions where I've had other judges say, well, I can't give a superior to this person because they're not playing at the New York Philharmonic level. And I'm saying, but they're 10. So (laughs) I would. uh, Yeah, I agree. I wonder about that, too. And I also wonder about rep in that that vein, because. They really want to play Star Wars, and I really want them to play Star Wars. I want to play Star Wars, but that is frowned upon in solo ensemble festivals and in some studios. Their teachers won't even let them play it at the studio recital. And that is something also that bothers me because that is that is our music. That is our living music of our time. John Williams is a fantastic composer, along with so many of these other ones, and to have a kid play something like Hedwig's theme from Harry Potter that is exciting to them and is real to them is a lot more inspiring than Handel's oboe concerto. So if we're transcribing stuff for young students, why can't we do our music of now? Also, John Williams is hard. There's a lot of triplets and dotted eighth note, sixteenth note patterns in there that are, it's a great way to learn how to do that. Well, and this is another bizarre thing about education. For example, you bring up Star Wars and, um, you know, a simple melody like Happy Birthday or Ode to Joy contains dotted rhythms, you know. Star Wars happens to contain a triplet in it. Um, and I've seen before in band music where they write this triplet out as eighth notes because they think the kids can't handle the triplet, but then all the kids who clearly have working ears play it as a triplet because triplet they can't understand why it's eighth notes when it sounds different in their heads. So Yeah, that one, the dumbing down of music for young people, I find very insulting. And uh, there's a book I work out of that has When the Saints Go Marching In. Now, these kids haven't really studied When the Saints Go Marching In, but they can swing. They just know it because they've heard it before. But it's written in this just straight eighth note rhythm. I have one book where it's written in cut time, which is even more confusing. And I think they meant to make it easier for them. But it's actually harder. And I feel like that's an opportunity to write out the more difficult rhythm because they already know it by ear and the ones that don't know how to read it, they can all, they can work together to solve that problem or their friends can help them or their band director or their teacher can help them, but they're capable of learning this stuff. And that's another one of Suzuki's philosophies is that I know there's a lot of people that have problems with it because many, there's a, a, a perception that many Suzuki students can't read, but they can. It, you just have to teach them as part of the lessons. Um, but his was just listening over and over and over and learning it that way. And they're learning very complicated music. So, yeah, but I see that. And uh, I feel so bad when the kid is struggling with it. And I'll just rewrite it. I'll say, OK, you know what? This is how you're playing it. And this is how it's actually written. So we're just going to skip over this part in the book. I have tape now that is a staff paper tape. So I just scroll the tape out over the stuff in the book and I redo it for them. <laughs> That's a great idea. How do we get people from 
the very beginning of just those few notes into a place where they're inspired and want to learn the other music and then can physically do it? I think the very first step is they have to want that. I, I can't make somebody want to do that. And in order to maybe open the door to wanting that, I think is it's listening and going to concerts. YouTube is amazing now. Uh, you can go and watch performances of all these great clarinet players, and they're doing a really good job making it exciting and accessible. Martin Frost is doing a great job with some of his videos like that. Foreplay is doing a great job with their videos with that. Michael Lowenstern. There's so much great content out there. So I I have a monthly newsletter I send out, and I'll send videos or I'll send links to performances. I'll let people know when performances are coming up in our area so that they can go hear people. So I, I really think it has to come from within, but it also has to do with exposure and hearing other clarinetists and great musicians. Once you get to that place and you really are into it, I do go through clarinet rep that's written for the clarinet. I think it's really important to play music that's written for clarinet. So you can sort of gradually ease your way into it. And this one's hard because I know a lot of clarinet teachers that can disagree with me on this, but I think that if you are 17 years old and you really want to learn the Mozart concerto, learn the damn Mozart concerto. And I know some people will say, don't, oh no, you shouldn't teach it to them. They're not ready. But Learning the Mozart Concerto is a gift. Learning the Brahms Sonatas, they are gifts. It's very few people get to actually get into the Mona Lisa and repaint it, but musicians get to do that. So all all these pieces are gifts to us. And then it's our it's our gift to be able to translate the paper, the written music to an audience. I always say to my students that we are philosophers of time and sound. That's what we are artists of. And it's always living and it's always changing. So I will find pieces that match that person based on what their level is. And then if they, and then if they want to do it, we can, they'll work on it. And then I, I'm a big believer in warm-ups, but I'll build the warm-ups based on technical problems in those pieces. So if you're having problems with a difficult run, then that's your warm-up. That's your slow practice, and then we'll speed it up from there. But if you incorporate that as part of your daily routine, that helps. Uh, I really do a lot of techniques, so Behrman scales, the Kreps books, Close even And I find Close and the Kreps really fantastic because they're so short, like tell me, oh, I didn't get a I didn't get a chance to practice, and I'll say you didn't get a chance or you didn't make a chance, and that's okay if you didn't make the chance or even if you didn't get a chance because these kids are so overscheduled. That's all right, but close A, it's two measures, and then repeat it. You can do that. That'll take you two three minutes, and sometimes just the action of getting the clarinet out to do the two or three minutes, then you end up doing it a little bit longer because you you went to the trouble to put that clarinet together. Well, it's so funny because you mentioned the uh, the situation of being inspired by the music um, and then that leading to more inspiration and, or growing your inspiration. And it's totally true. And, and anyone who denies that, I think, is really lying to themselves because what, what did I do when I first went home when I got my clarinet? Well, I learned the Mario theme and the James Bond song and this and that and things I could relate to. And and that led to other things. And and I know I'm not alone because even Harry Spar and I, for example, one of my favorite moments, I think probably my favorite moment of the podcast, actually, was when Harry Spar and I told me about um, his first day with his saxophone that he'd taken home and he learned uh oh my god what's that what's that song tequila yeah he said he learned tequila and uh and that was the first thing he did and this is harry spar and i were talking about like serious innovator and and you know godfather of the bass clarinet like may he rest in peace but an inspiration to so many and, and that's that was his start was learning tequila i mean i want to go learn tequila yeah <laughs> but you know that that's who, who denies this stuff? It's crazy. So anyways. <laughs> no, I'm absolutely 100% there because you can have somebody that's really struggling and they're they're learning all this. I was about to say crap. I'm so sorry. <laughs> they're learning all these scales and, you know, how many times do we go over the chromatic scale? And it's just, it can be really draining. And so I'll say, listen, just go home and play anything you want to play. 
just anything, just go learn anything. And that actually can be hard for some people. So I've started writing it out and I'll say, all right, here you go. Or frame it differently. I mean, no one sits down, like, let's be honest, even me, if the main accomplishment of playing clarinet was to be able to play a, a chromatic scale, I think that I would stop right now. But, but, <laughs> oh but you know, you could, you could tell a kid, you know, you want to play this scale so you can learn the Pink Panther or, you know, eventually maybe, maybe Debussy or, or something like that. But, but it, whole tone scales, for example, I mean, that's, that's Debussy right there. And uh, you want a practical application for that. I mean, don't just sit around and play whole tone scales all afternoon. Learn, uh, you know, the prelude to the afternoon of a fawn, the, the solo or something and learn why you need it. How does it sound? The, the practical applications. So you also consider yourself to be a bit of a small business owner or an entrepreneur. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, it, uh, it, it is a lot more time than I thought it was going to be running a clarinet studio. So I thought the bulk of my time was going to be just teaching the clarinet lessons. But there are aspects of it with building it and maintaining it that are small business related. And luckily, I come from a line of small business owners. My dad started his own business and my mother, she owned um, vacation rental property. So I got a lot of ideas from them, especially my with from my mom with getting paid because, uh, people, uh, <clears throat> some people, most of my, uh, students, they're, they're great. They pay on time, but there will be some people that can try and, um, game the system a little bit. So fun part of my job, I don't like uh, sending out the email that you've missed a payment. So what I've done is set up like a registration form, but it, explains how the payments are made. So you pay a month in advance, a flat monthly rate for 35 lessons and a recital in a group class through the year. So I, everything is spelled out for everybody. I learned very quickly not to get paid individually per lesson because then people cancel and I would not see that money again. Or even worse, when I'd asked for that money, it just felt humiliating. So it's a lot easier now that you have a flat monthly rate, you pay the monthly rate, if you miss a lesson, I have some makeup days available, but your time is reserved for you to be there. And if you can't make it, um, try and switch with another student or do a makeup day, but I'm not, I don't refund those either. So if I had an appointment with a lawyer and I bailed last minute, I'm paying for that. And I'm paying for a lot, a lot of money for that. Well, part of it is standing up for these, these, these rules that you set, you know, I mean, I, I had a situation last year where, sorry to interrupt, but. I had a situation where a student didn't show up for a lesson the night of. I sat there. I waited for the 10 minutes. I 15 minutes even. I was, you know, dressed to teach. I was, it was my last student of the night. It was 8 o'clock on a Friday. I waited around. Saturday morning, the phone rings, and the, the person had forgotten the lesson and said, hey, hey, you know, sorry, we forgot. Could we do a makeup? And I said, no. You know, that's, that's, that's crazy. And, you know, the person, though, this was not really a normal situation, but you get these people sometimes. I mean, the person came to me the next week and said, look, I mean, I really don't appreciate the way you treated me because music lessons are not the same as like massage or a plumber or a lawyer. And I said, look, if you feel that way, that's fine. This is our last lesson. And I set the boundary and you, you don't have these kind of problems if you set your boundaries. <laughs> yeah, that, that's definitely a big thing with setting the boundaries and not letting it slide and knowing the value of your time and the value of your expertise and the value of yourself because my, I am there. I'm, I'm in that I uh, teach after schools, so I go to the schools and I teach after there. So I'm traveling to them and I'm waiting for them there. And I do have other people on a wait list that would like to be in that spot. So, yeah. You don't have to be rude, but you do have to uphold your values, you know? Absolutely. And it's rare. It doesn't happen very much. Um, I had one once where they wanted to go to a basketball game. So, so at least they were honest. They're like, I want to go see the high school basketball game and it conflicts with my lesson. So do you have any makeup days available? And I said, sure. In my home studio, which is 26 miles away. <laughs> and then they came to their lesson. So, and they'll have conflicts. And, um, sometimes if it becomes an issue, I'll say, all right, you have to weigh out, you have to make a decision. There's only so much I can do for you with a limited time available. So yeah, drawing that boundary is really important. I agree. I hate the interaction of music and money. 
in this sense. Um, I really hate monthly chasing the payments. I, I also don't like the, the, the clerical work behind it. Like, okay, they had three lessons this month, but paid for more. I'll apply one to the next month. It just drives me nuts, you know? Um, so, I mean, my, my solution was this year, I actually had people paying for like packs of lessons. And then I'd basically have like a stamp card system. So like you pay for 12 lessons. And if you're here, I just stamp that you were here. And if you, you know, missed one and, and, you know, I just write it down that you weren't here, but I still bill for it, you know, if it was late cancel or whatever. But but then I only have to ask for money every, you know, 6, 12, 30 lessons. And because people pay for the entire year, and I give them a discount to do this, by the way, but they'll pay for like, and I was shocked, most of my students paid for the whole year up front, which was unbelievable. And um, but if it were, there was a discount, absolutely. Yeah, but it, I was like, wow, I don't have to deal with money again for the whole year with these people. And it's been great. It removes a, a certain level of tension from the, the education and the music that I, I really, it does make me uncomfortable. Like this is our job, but it, it is, it's always uncomfortable to ask for money after a, a music lesson, you know? It is. I, I, I would agree. I like that idea. I've known people that have done paying by semester. So you'll pay twice a year. Um, and that's expensive. And I was surprised that people did but they, yeah, they did it and it works well. Um, and then my daughter's piano teacher would only accept a student if you did, um, what is it, when you you hook it up to your bank account? Auto payments it's like or whatever. Payments. That was the only way she would do it. And if you couldn't do that, you had to write her 10 checks and pre or post date them all or whatever that is so that she already had it. She was not messing around. Um so I like that idea. It's been working for me with the monthly payments so far. Um, just every now and then you get that one, that one situation. So I have a late fee and then I have, um, I have billing through PayPal so I can send them an invoice, but I, I will ask people to leave. I have to. Yeah. If I can fill a spot with somebody that will, that's just bad business not to. If there is an extenuating circumstance. So if it's a true financial need and they really can't pull it off, I want them to be able to take lessons with me and then we work it out. But, um, I, I'm sad to say that has not been the case in most of my interactions. Well, and that has to be the exception, not the rule. Or then you become the person in need, you know, you have to put on your own, your own, uh, you know, air mask or whatever on the plane before you help someone else. Right. And uh, I have an aunt that's a photographer and we like to joke about the uh, people saying to her, oh, can you do my headshots? It'll be great for your portfolio. Just like, oh, can you give my kid a free lesson? It'll be great. You know, and great it's, exposure. It's, it's great exposure. <laughs> or, hey, can my band play, you know, your wedding free? It's well, great. I always say, you know, people die of exposure. <laughs> 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 and, uh, Another one too, like when people call me and they want like, for example, a free gig, I say, okay, you know, let's say it's for, even if it's for, you know, like a charity concert or something, I say, okay, let's talk about this for a minute. Um, is the food being donated? Is the venue being donated? Um, is the parking being donated? Like if everything's being donated, I'd love to donate my music services. But if this fundraiser is designed to, you know, pay the cook and pay the venue and pay the guy who mops the floor, I mean, this is my service too, you know, I mean... In that case, I, I think it's only fair. Yeah, especially if you break down how much our education costs and how much our instruments cost and all of our insurance policies we have to carry and just everything. Well, and clarinets need maintenance every year, too, if you use them a lot, you know? So what does what an overhaul cost and how many free gigs is one overhaul? But So where do you feel like you got this business acumen from? Because I think a lot of people graduate and they feel kind of lacking in these skills. I definitely did not get it from college. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's a problem? It's a big problem. And I know that music schools have changed a lot in the 20 years since I, or 19 years since I graduated, which is fantastic. But I did do a business of music class and it was how to get your headshots done and how to write up a recital program and how to write your bio and how to write a resume. So the resume and the bio were helpful, but those are the only four things I remember from a year long course. And it, yeah. And so, and I was pre internet days and that obviously needs to be addressed. Social media marketing and online bill paying and how to do your taxes and what are your tax breaks as a musician? These are 
really important things to have. Our whole conversation about billing, that's a big deal to get paid for your work and you're running it yourself. So I can say that I got a lot of um, help from a good friend and colleague of mine, Kristen Sheridan. She is the one that shared uh, her registration form with me that uh, that was fantastic once I saw how she wrote it up, um, which gave me a lot of great ideas. But so much of this was from trial and error. I, I can sit here right now and say, yes, you have to be strong and draw your boundaries about getting paid on time. But that's only because there were so many times I just never got paid and I didn't feel like dealing with it anymore. And I just let it go. Well, and I think that some people would look at this, you know, I don't need to, to pigeonhole anyone or I don't even know, know if that's the right word, but I feel like some people think we're just um, talking from a place that they're not like as a college professor, you don't have these problems, you know, but these are real problems for freelancers and people who are trying to start their career. Um, and if you never had these, these concerns, then um, in a way, I don't know if it's, it's you're lucky or just kind of a different path, but like, these are real problems of, <laughs> of becoming a freelance musician. Yeah. I don't know any, um, I'm running through all of my colleagues in my mind, and I know very few people that haven't been in our position. Oh, really? Well, think about it. And even, I mean, we can take this whole thing with getting paid on time with gigs. I mean, there's definitely been gigs where I'm like, hey. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a horrible feeling when you have to call a contractor. And I'm sure all of us have horror stories of contractors that bailed. And, um, it, that's a terrible part of it. Um, so yeah, it is, it is a big part. It, it, I definitely would love to go back to my college business of music class because the way they ran it is each, each time, um, you know, each week somebody new would come, would come in and talk about their lives in the music business and they would pick one theme. I actually have done this talk at George Mason university with running a studio and, and we go over things like liability insurance. Should I get liability insurance? Should I get, Super important, you know, yeah. and I love liability insurance. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get it until I started teaching after school and the school district required it. And I was a little put off by the price of what it costs. But then when I read what it protected me from, <laughs> there's no way I would, there's no way I would teach again without it. Oh, it's extremely important. So speaking of um, uh, your teaching and kind of entrepreneurial things, uh, you also started the Clarinet Project, which is a YouTube channel dedicated to at first helping your students, but now it's helping a lot of people. Would you share a little bit about that? Yeah, that was a big surprise for me. Um, so I originally started it just to collect. Remember when I was talking about listening to other clarinet players and listening to great music? When I was in college and I had to go listen to music, I would go to the library and I would check out the CD and I would sit there and listen to it. If the CD was not available or they didn't have it, a lot of times I had to go buy it. And that was getting on a train and going downtown to Tower Records and using my food money to buy a CD. So now when I'll say, oh, you've totally got to listen to Foray's Requiem, the PAs, it was so beautiful. And my students say, oh, no, I don't want to go. And I'm like, wait, you've got it. It's right there. You can buy it for a like 99 cents. Just that movie. And you don't even have to leave your house. This is amazing. So I originally started the YouTube channel just putting together playlists of beautiful music that I loved or clarinet recital piece choices. And then I started doing some little tutorials. The one that really spearheaded it was my husband because he wanted to get some fancy Mac computer and I said, I said, no, that's crazy. Don't get that. And he's like, but you could do clarinet choir covers and I'll help you. And so that was, that's how Carl got his computer. And that's how I started doing more stuff on my YouTube channel. Um, so then I, I did the, like just scale tutorials and little song tutorials, but I have to admit I was nervous about trolls. I didn't want people write mean things underneath the videos. And very, very rarely does that happen. It's a very supportive community, at least for me, which I was really surprised about. Do you get emails from people? I do get emails. And uh, I get emails asking for advice and asking for help. People do a lot of comments. One of the ones that really touched my heart was somebody wrote 
that I was really nice and I seemed like a nice person and they and and it was sweet to hear it but then they said they wish their clarinet teacher was like that oh that's kind of sad (laughs) sad and so I reached out to this young lady and she said that her teacher yelled at her so much she shakes before lessons and she cries afterwards and I thought oh wow we need to address this and so um so of all the videos I've done that one is the one where I talk about that is the one I feel um, the most proud of, which is, listen, you don't have to be treated that way. You can tell your mom and dad. And if, and if they, if you can't tell them, tell somebody, but you don't have to, there's so many teachers out there. There's so many of us. So yeah, I think that video was called, should your clarinet teacher yell at you or something like that? Hey, is it okay for your clarinet teacher to yell at you? And I just, I just was really struck by that. And I can't, that was one of the ones I couldn't stop thinking about. And I thought I have to address this, but yeah. So the YouTube channel is such a nice supportive community. And, um, I'm really proud to be a part of it because what we were talking about also with clarinet lessons, not everybody can get to a teacher and, and not everybody can afford it. So at least I can give a little bit back, um, and sh- share some of this knowledge with some people that might not be able to get it. Um, so I'm glad to be able to do that. So it's mostly um, educational videos, but you're also doing some reviews and um, a couple little interviews and things like that. I mean, what are some of the directions you'd like to see it go in the future? I, I, yeah, I, I do some reviews on there and I want to get back doing more interviews. So, um, you are on my list. I want to know all about you <laughs> and, and how you started the podcast and, and, and your story. So, uh, actually when I started the, doing the interviews, it was mainly to collect stories. I, I, I really liked talking to the clarinetists that we have up there. Uh, David Krakauer was my teacher and it was lovely to spend time with him talking about his teacher, Leon Rushnov, and his own teaching style and his own stories. Um, and I really like talking to Larry Bocaner about what it was like playing in the National Symphony during the Cold War. I wanted more, actually. I wanted a lot more because of when they went on tour there. But so I'd like to do more interviews and definitely more clarinet choir covers. And I'd like to bring more people into the choir covers. I'm doing a project now with some of my students recording John Lennon's Imagine in response to the school shooting in Florida. A lot of my students had, sometimes it's like therapy and clarinet lessons. So that whole week after that happened and many of the weeks following, a lot of kids wanted to talk about it and, and talk through their feelings and process it. And I thought, here we are musicians and we can play music to see, to soothe our hearts too. So, um, so my students and I are getting together to do that sort of as a healing mechanism, but also to share it with other young people in solidarity. So I'd like to see more work like that on the YouTube channel as well. Well, I think it's a great cause you've got going on and I, I definitely wish you, wish you success with it. There's room for for lots of us out there doing this kind of stuff, I think. And just to grow the clarinet world, you know? Absolutely. And there's so much in the clarinet world that we can be a part of. I I didn't think my career would take a turn like this. I never, first of all, I didn't even know <laughs> there was such a thing as YouTube because it wasn't invented back when I was in college. And I was originally going to be an orchestral clarinetist. Very originally, I wanted to play on Broadway until I found out you had to buy all those instruments and learn. And so, and then I was going to do the orchestra thing. And then, um, my life took a different turn and I really like the turn it took. And I really love doing the recordings for YouTube. And I really like being an advocate for young people and using music as a part of that, which I thought were going to be two separate things, but to bring music together, to be a part of that has been really inspiring and exciting for me. So yeah, I think there's room for all of us for all the amazing things that we're all doing. Well, yeah, I think you raised such a great point about finding your own sort of path. I mean, I also thought I wanted to be an orchestral player too. And uh, I found that I really not only enjoy producing media, but working with, you know, sales and customers and, uh, and, and making this kind of content and uh, playing new music and chamber music and, and not having to play the same music all the time, versatility. Like there's so many things that make me interesting to my own job and, and kind of uniquely qualified for, for what I do. And, 
And uh, that is something I could never have imagined, but there it is. <laughs> yeah. And I always was a little afraid to go onto my own path because I thought, oh, people are going to look down on me because I don't do, you know, I'm not in an orchestra or I'm not in a military band. But I've hit this place in my life where I don't really care that much. <laughs> Because I really like what I'm doing. I'm really fulfilled and I'm enjoying it. And like what you said, I'm I'm playing new music. I'm finding new music. And that is really exciting and fun for me. And it is new and different. And I now have time and space to be able to be involved with that where I'm not quite sure I would have been before. Was there a certain moment that you felt this path was, was good for you? I think mine was constantly happening and I didn't see it happening. So when I was at Manhattan School of Music, I was not part of the orchestral performance program. Uh, and I was studying with a teacher, a, a musician that also did not follow the, the beaten path. David Krakauer's career is absolutely his own. And and my undergrad teacher, Paul Green, his career is the same way. Even Yehuda Glad. And so they all did their own thing. And I studied with all of them. It must have rubbed off because when I got to college and the OP program needed some people to do educational outreach and perform in a woodwind quintet that wrote children's shows. But not only did we write the shows for the audience, but we worked with the school teachers about what they were learning in math and history and English class so we could put it all together and have a musical performance that would would relate to all the things they were learning in their different classes. It was very organic. Absolutely, I jumped on that. So I did that for a year, and then I did a lot of chamber music, but I constantly kept going back to these woodwind quintets and writing kids' shows and doing kids' performances because they were so exciting and fun for me. And um, and I would be teaching, and so I really, it really didn't clarify for me, I think, until about a year ago when I thought, oh... <laughs> I've been doing it all along. I really like it. <laughs> so I've been doing it for like twenty some years, but it it didn't occur to me until very recently that I was that I was doing this, and it was very fulfilling, and I'm successful at it, and it's just different than what other people do and what I saw myself as doing. So that was a moment for me and it's hard for me to admit it. It's hard for me to talk out loud, but I would see myself not as successful compared to somebody that was in the St. Louis Symphony or in the Philadelphia Orchestra because that was what my definition of success was. Yeah, it's a different success. You kind of found your your own. It's a different one and a lot of the 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 things I've chosen to do or because, well, nobody else did it. So I'm just going to have to do it kind of thing. So that's the clarinet Academy. I do at Mason. Well, thank you so much, Katina, for coming on the show. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back for the lightning round. So as you may realize, the Clarinet Podcast is coming up on its 100th episode, and I really want to do sort of a listener celebration uh, episode, and I invite you to either write me at feedback at clarinet.com with some of your thoughts about how the podcast has affected you or what your favorite episode was or any sort of thing like that, or you can leave me a, a voicemail by going to clarinet.com slash voicemail, or when you get to the website, you can scroll all the way down to the bottom, there's a little leave voicemail button, and if you click that, get your computer microphone ready, grab yourself a cup of coffee and, and uh, <laughs> real quick coffee, and you have 90 seconds to share with me any of your thoughts, and I'll sift through all those and hopefully have a whole bunch of things from listeners to air on the podcast. This can be really anything about the podcast, um, even just an introduction to yourself as a listener to say hello to the audience. I just want to hear from the listeners and assemble sort of a fun episode to celebrate reaching 100, which is, by the way, a huge milestone. Um, most podcasts start and end up fading by about episode 30 and sort of disappear after that. And I've had people ask me, how is it possible that uh, you can produce a podcast for something as niche as clarinet and, and have an ongoing show? And this is people in the podcasting industry have asked me this because it just seems too niche to them. And my answer is always the same. I say, you know, I, I feel like 
I could actually dive deeper. I could talk about just extended techniques with contemporary artists for an entire podcast. Um, in some ways, I feel like Clarnit is almost too broad. I have so many people getting in touch to come on the show. There's so many opportunities for people to talk to. There's just an, an endless supply of great clarinetists and their stories all over the world. So um, I don't think clarinet is too niche of a podcast at all. <laughs> and if anything, I think that we almost need like bass clarinet and uh, new music clarinet and the orchestral clarinetist or something like that. Um, but uh, I try to do my best job of, of you know, getting around diff various different topics here and, and touching on, on as many avenues of the clarinet world as I can. So um, anyways, I want to hear from you. Send me your feedback at feedback at clarinet.com and send me your voicemails at clarinet.com slash voicemail. Let's get on to the lightning round here with Katina Franklin Sweetie. If I were to walk over to your music stand right now, what would I find? Immer Kleiner. Um, it's a cute little piece. Um, the musician takes the clarinet and he plays it. Oh, you take it apart? Yeah, and then I take my bell off, and then I play the second theme, and then I take the bottom joint off, all the way to the mouthpiece. Well, that's hilarious. Yeah. But don't tell anybody. It's supposed to be a surprise. <laughs> if you could play another instrument than clarinet, which would it be and why? Oh, man. I definitely will say the same one I said before, which is guitar. I want to play some, some folk music. If you could go back in time and meet any musician, who would it be and why? Um, I want to meet Claire Schumann. I really want to meet her. She was everything that we're talking about. She ran that music business. She was performing concerts when she was really young. And then after she married Robert, her father stopped being her manager. So she said, fine, I'll be my own manager. And then she had all those kids and she was performing while she was pregnant, which was this huge scandal. People loved her. So I really want to meet Clara Schumann. While we're back in time, what advice would you give your 21 year old self? Oh, man, I would tell myself to invest in Amazon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we talked a lot about advice. I would go back to say for clarinet advice, I would say go be yourself. Do it. You Be brave and go try new things and just be a genuine person and you, it's going to be okay. What was the best advice you ever received and who gave it to you? David Krakauer. He talked about when he recorded Dreams and Prayers, how he ended up getting that gig. And one of the reasons he got it is because um, he is very kind. He's a very kind person and um, and, and he he's easy to work with. And um, and he's talked about this before. So his advice to me, which is, you know, be kind and, and uh, don't jump to conclusions and listen to other people's points of view and, and work together to create a piece of art. Even if you don't exactly agree on everything, find a way to work it out together in um, a supportive, kind way. And what is one book that you'd recommend to uh, the Clarinet audience? Um, I, I did recommend the Liz Lerman's uh, critical response method, which is how to give critique and receive critiques from people. That one is really, really helpful. So I'm going to say nonviolent communication is a great book. Uh, how to talk to people, uh, going with what David Krakauer taught me with how to speak to people in a kind way, but also how to advocate for yourself and draw your boundaries in a powerful way, but not, you know, be a jerk about it. You know, the first book that you recommended the first time, too, I'm going to add that to uh, um, starting a Clarinet book club. And uh, I think I'm going to add that to the list because I really want to read that one. Absolutely. I, it's, and it's beautifully done. There's a lot of illustrations. She, she uses it um, as if somebody baked a cake and how to talk about the cake, which is a great way to go about doing it. And the last one, how many clarinets do you have? Oh, oh. Um, I have three B flats, one A, one E flat, one alto, and one bass. So I'm down to, what is that, seven? I guess so. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> I tried counting on my fingers as we were doing that, like three B flats, one A, one E flat. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Katina, for coming back on the podcast. And I hope to speak with you again. And uh, if you get the chance, everyone check out her uh, channel, The Clarinet Project, on YouTube. And uh, is there somewhere else we can find you online? or? Yeah, I have um, an Instagram page that kind of went crazy, which um, I'm having a lot of fun with as well. So this is the Clarinet Project on Instagram. And then I have Project Clarinet on Twitter and a Facebook page for the Clarinet Project. And eventually I will get the Clarinet Project blog up where I'm going to review uh, different 
Klarna products, but mainly teaching hacks that I do. So I mentioned the manuscript tape, but I have a lot of other things I use like coffee straws and tennis balls that are, they definitely deserve their own review as well. Yeah. You know, the reviews are such a, an interesting thing. I mean, I was doing them for a while with the website here, but uh, I found I need to just focus on one element of it for me because I was getting a little bit overstretched and, and, uh, but um, yeah, no, it's great to see other people doing some reviews because I need some reviews to read sometimes too. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm always trying to make teaching more fun and easy for myself. So I thought, oh, I might as well share that. Like the day I got highlighter tape was a great day. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much, Katina. And I definitely look forward to chatting with you next time. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to having you on the Clarinet Project. Thank you so much for listening. You can find show notes for today's episode at clarineat.com slash 91. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast, first of all, welcome, and I do hope that you enjoyed the show. Why not send me a message at feedback at clarineat.com just to introduce yourself or join the Clarineat community on Facebook. Also, I would like to invite you to subscribe. This means that as new episodes are released, they will come straight to your device and you'll get a little notification popping up saying, hey, there's a new Clarinet episode. Do you want to listen to this? Um, Also, you can subscribe to the email mailing list and you can do that at the website. Scroll all the way down to the bottom. There's a little subscribe box and you put your email address in there. I only send out four to six emails a month, basically whenever there's a podcast or maybe there's a special coupon for some some of the merch on the merch store or some of the other things that the Clarinet store and uh, just a couple other little announcements like that it's not overwhelming and if you do not like what you're receiving you can unsubscribe easily at any time if you're listening on a google device i just want to let you know that there's a new app called google Podcasts, and uh, i don't have anything google myself so i haven't had the chance to check it out but i do know that clarity is available on there so if you're using a google device go ahead on your app store and search google podcasts and you should be able to easily subscribe to clarity through that if you're not using an apple phone or a google phone um, there's also the spotify app and a few other places you can find clarity in fact i did a google search the other day and just randomly sometimes i do that just to see you know, where Clarinet's being aggregated to. It, it seems like all sorts of weird podcasting servers all over the internet aggregate RSS feeds, which is which is actually okay because the downloads are still tracked and it doesn't really matter what you use to load the, the, the podcast feed. It still comes back to me. But uh, I saw a really weird thing the other day. There was some Spanish site selling a collection of the of audiobooks um, based on different podcasts. And Clarinet was one of the ones in there. And so for around 80 bucks, you can go to some website and purchase all the episodes of Clarinet. But uh, I don't recommend that you do that because that's completely unauthorized. And I'm looking into a way to actually take that down. Um, It's just, uh, it's amazing the piracy that goes on these days. People going out there and charging for content that's free. It's just, that's absolutely appalling. So please do not go buy the podcast. It's not for sale. (laughs) If you want to support the podcast, you can do it through clarineat.com slash support on our Patreon page. You can make a donation or any other number of things on the website, buy a t-shirt, something like that. But uh, in case you see it out there, Clarinet is not for sale as some sort of collection. I I have no idea what that's like, and I'm sure not going to give that person $80 to find out. So anyways, just a little warning not to go ahead and buy that if you see it out there. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Sean Perrin from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And the show is also produced with the help of Megan Taylor with our copywriting and Brian Shaples um, for the audio editing. The show is brought to you in part by our sponsor, Dario Woodwinds. Do not forget to check out their awesome new reserve clarinet reeds that are also available for E-flat and bass clarinet now. You can buy a box at your local music store or you can head to clarinet.com reeds to pick up a box online right now. Also, their Don't Blow It show airs every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Instagram. You can head to Instagram and search Dario Woodwinds or go to clarinet.com slash don't blow it. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next time for more of what's new and neat for clarinet on the Clarinet Podcast.